James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to be doing 19 through 27 tonight. 19 through 27. No doubt this is a familiar passage to some of you. Um, and so we're just going to dive right into it. James chapter 1, verse 19, it says this. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive the meekness and the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who uh, looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the word world. This is God's word. You ready? Lord, we, uh, we pray, God, that, that your Holy Spirit alone would speak. God, we, uh, we recognize that uh, as we learn in 1 John, that uh, your Holy Spirit alone is sufficient to interpret Scripture for us. Uh, we do not need teachers, Lord. Um, God, I am not necessary for this, Lord, but your Holy Spirit alone, if, if, if you do not speak to us, God, uh, Lord, we, we will learn nothing. God, we will retain nothing. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us individually as Dane prayed earlier. God, that, that we would be transformed by what you have to say about us, God. Lord, man can say so many different things about you, but what you say about yourself and what you say about us, may that reign supreme in our hearts and our minds. And so, Father, be with us, comfort us, interpret Scripture for us. We love you, God, and it is in your holy and mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we see the book of James. You see, there, there are many, there, there's, I, I, I like to say that there's two different types of books in Scripture. There's, there's descriptive books and there's prescriptive books. And, the, and, and sometimes they, they mold together. I would say passages, rather. There's descriptive passages and there's prescriptive passages. There's passages that describe the character of God. They're good for our theology and our understanding of who God is, right? Because how are we supposed to worship God if we don't have a proper understanding of who he is? How are we supposed to mimic his character if we do not have an understanding of his character, right? And so there are descriptive passages in scripture. There's passages that tell us about the story of God, what he's doing, and who he is. And then there's prescriptive Right? There, there are things where God has prescribed things to us. He, has, he, is, he is giving us commands and he is giving us ways to walk uprightly before him. It tends to be these passages that God keeps rather simple. You see, the really complicated stuff tends to happen when we talk about God, right? When we talk about who he is, because there's so much depth, there's so much layers to who he is. But then when God talks about who we are and who we ought to be, he keeps things rather simple, 
right? He keeps things rather simple and he also uses a lot of different metaphors and imagery for us, right? Because when it comes to God, incredibly, incredibly deep. But when it comes to us, man, it doesn't, it doesn't go too deep, right? It doesn't go too deep. And so what, what we see right here is that James, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is being incredibly, incredibly simple with us. And he starts out by saying this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so, and so the point is, guys, in here, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, but slow to speak, right? I think if we were all being honest with ourselves, we, we like to flip those in our lives, right? We like to be quick to speak, but slow to listen, right? Especially in our society today. Our, our, our government is literally built off of quick speech and slow listening, right? Have you been watching the Republican debates lately? That's, that's exactly what it is, right? And, and, and so if you, if, you, if you look at this, guys, we, we as human nature, whoever we are in all different walks of life, we like to be quick to speak and slow to listen. We would rather be heard than hear. I love what Pastor Rob says is that people don't necessarily want to hear what you have to say. They want you to know that you care, right, by listening. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The point is that words have an incredible impact on the people around us. Words have an incredible impact on the people around us, and they also have an incredible impact on our own hearts. Words have power. Words have tremendous power. We are created in the image of God, yes? Yeah, we are created in the image of God. That is who we are. We are image bearers of the almighty God. God created us with words. When he spoke the earth into existence, his words hold power. When God says something, it holds power. When God says something, it exists, right? God has defining Words and us as image bearers of God, those who are created in the image of God, we too have been gifted with language and speech. Linguists have all, uh, uh, current linguists are, are, are debating on the origin of language, and many say that language has no origin. It's always been, it's always been around. And, 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 so, and so the thing is, guys, we are created with language. And as God's words have power, though ours don't have to the degree God has, our words have power too, don't they? The words that we use have incredible, incredible power. It says later on in James that the tongue, as small as it is, has the potential to start an incredible fire. That the tongue, like a rudder in a very large boat, though it be small, is able to steer the entire ship. Words have power. James would later on go to say that whoever can bridle his tongue is a perfect man. Whoever can control 100% what he says is a perfect person. Words have power and they have an incredible impact on the people around us. We can all think of something 
At some point in our lives, we can all think of something that somebody has said that have really resonated with us in a good or bad way, right? There are defining moments in our lives based on what people have said about us, right? There are defining moments. Some people, uh, some people in your lives, they have encouraged you. They have used their words to build you up. And, and because of their words and their encouragement and them speaking in your life, you are who you are today because you've made those specific decisions. Some of you have been victims of harsh words that people have used. And those words of uh, demeaning you and tearing you down, they have defined your works and the way you live your life today as well. They're defining things within the tongue. There are sometimes, and, and, and guys, this doesn't just, this isn't just them, right? This isn't just the others, right? This is us as well. This is us as well. Our words have had incredible impact on the people around us. A lot of the times we put our feet in our mouths and do the same thing that we wish we hadn't. We say what we wish we hadn't, and we don't say things that we wish we had. We all have these moments. Jesus, when he describes the words that we use, this is why it says in James that whoever can control exactly what he says is a perfect person. Jesus, Jesus actually explains that statement in Luke chapter 6. He says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James knowing the impact of words because of what he has heard Jesus say, says this in verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You guys notice that language there? Overflow of wickedness. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so he says right here, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James agrees with what Jesus was saying. It's an overflow. Our hearts, as it declares in Psalms, are cups. Our hearts are cups. This is all throughout the book of Psalms, all throughout the book of Isaiah. Our hearts are considered cups. And what we fill our hearts with will naturally leak or overflow into our words and into our actions. What we are continually filling our hearts and our minds with will then spill over to our everyday interactions. This is what Jesus meant when he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the, man, the, the mouth speaks. This is what Jesus means. And this is what James means where he's like, hey, lay aside the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. That if you're filling your heart with wickedness, if you're filling your heart with uselessness, that stuff is going to overflow and pour out of you, whether in your language or in the way you treat people. And so that's why Jesus says, hey, listen, whoever can bridle his tongue and never says anything bad and never messes up in the words that he says, that's a good indication that their hearts are pure as well. That their hearts are pure. Our hearts are cups and they are always being filled with something. Always. 
Our hearts are always filled and overflowing with something. Some examples. Because whatever, whatever we have in our hearts, maybe it's not overflowing, but it may be leaking. Right? Because sometimes what's in our heart, we don't want people to see. You know what I mean? We don't sometimes, we, we want to conceal what's inside of our hearts. We want to conceal it. Maybe, you know, it might not even be a bad thing. Bad thing. Sometimes we want to conceal the good things, right? Sometimes we need to keep secrets. We need to conceal happiness and joy. Just sometimes the, the situation calls for that. You're in a business meeting. You have some really good news. You got to kind of keep yourself composed a little bit, right? And so, and so there are times where we want to put a cap on the cup, Right? We want to put a cap on the cup of our hearts and we really don't want to, we don't want it to manifest. We need to put on a face for whatever reason. Some of you are trying to hide the bad. Some of you are trying to hide the good. But no matter what, they will either overflow or leak. If it's not overflowing out of you, it's going to leak and seep through you. I'll give you some examples. If your heart is filled with excitement, If your heart is filled with excitement, that will leak out in the form of laughter, in the form of energy, in the form of a smile. It leaks, right? You may not be trying to, but if you are filled with anticipation of something, of excitement, these are going to overflow in a certain way. They're going to leak out in a certain way. If your heart is filled with sadness, it leaks out in certain ways. Tears, vulnerability, sensitivity. If your heart is filled with love, it'll leak out in beautiful things such as poetry and all that mushy romantic comedy stuff, right? Sometimes with tears. But our hearts, our hearts love to manifest themselves. And so we must pay close attention to what we fill our hearts with, right? We must pay very close attention. And when I say heart, I, I don't want you to get me mistaken. I don't mean just feelings, right? The things that you, you feel, your feelings. I'm talking about your mind, your affections, your habits, the things that you al- pledge allegiance to. These are the things of your heart, right? Your heart isn't just the stuff, oh, I love this person, I love this person, I don't like this person, I do like this person, whatever it may be. It can mean so much more than that. It's what you fill your mind with. It's what you're watching on TV. It's what you're looking at on the computer. It's who you're talking to. It's what you're reading. What you are allowing to come into you will eventually manifest itself out of you. And so we must pay close attention. We must pay close attention. It is impossible to bottle up what is inside for too long. Eventually, it will leak out. Eventually, it will leak out. So we must, we must practice introspection. We must practice this self-reflection of where our hearts are in the state of what they are. I recommend this, uh, this book that I, that I have read um, two times now, and I recommend it to any, any person that desires to be a healthy, functioning Christian, is uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. It is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, He has also written books called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And what he essentially says is that it is impossible to be spiritually healthy if you are not emotionally healthy as well. 
Now, emotional health, you got you to make sure that you don't mistake me here. Uh, when I say emotional health, I don't mean you're always happy. I don't mean uh, you have this, you know, like you have a cry sesh every single day, right? I don't mean that. I mean, emotional health is a good sense of where I'm at emotionally. Where am I? What makes me tick? Who am I, Right? Who has God made me to be? Self-reflection is incredibly, incredibly important. What is in my heart? It's impossible for me to be spiritually thriving and spiritually healthy if I'm not even aware of what makes me angry, repressed feelings and memories that I have, that I have deep down inside of me. If I am unable If I'm unable to know what makes me angry, how on earth am I able to abstain from wrath, right? If I'm not sure what makes me sad or what overflows me with joy, then I I am a victim to whatever circumstances are around me. It is necessary to be emotionally healthy uh, uh, so we may be spiritually healthy. So we must practice introspection. It says right here that we must empty. So if we are, if we are cups, if our hearts are cups, and we are aware by introspection, by trying to be emotionally healthy, if we are aware of what's in our hearts, if you look at the Psalms, David is constantly venting to God his feelings, his emotions. He's pouring these things out to God. And you see, as, as he's transitioning into these different things, as, as he's pouring these things out to God, he starts to realize things about his heart. That's what I mean about emotionally healthy. As he's pouring these things out to God, as he's journaling these things out to him, he'll be asking God to enact wrath on these people that have done him wrong. He actually at one point says, God, grind their teeth into a powder. About his enemies. David, right? Man after God's own heart. He asked God to crush people's teeth and grind them into a powder. But later on, he will says, but search my heart, O Lord, for any iniquity in me. Him fully recognizing that this anger that I have may be just me. So we need to know what's in our cups. We need to know what we are filling our hearts with. We need to be doing the self-reflection, whether it be through prayer and journaling, looking at the word as a mirror, as we're going to learn in a couple verses. Not just looking at the word as, as, as these, these things that we need to be exercising and doing, rather looking at it as a mirror. What do I look like? Who am I? What are faults in me? What am I filling my heart with? Because, guys, the life with God is before doing, it's being. Before doing, it's being. Before correcting the actions that we have, we must correct the heart. So we must empty, if our hearts are filled with wickedness, and if our hearts are filled with things that they shouldn't be, we must empty of ourselves, right? We must empty ourselves out. We must empty of ourselves to, in order to be filled with God. We must forget all the insecurity of what people say we are. The words that people have said that we, that have such a great impact. Some of you are still defining yourselves and looking at the world through the lens of what somebody told you when you were 15. 
Some of you are still looking at the world through that lens. We need to forget about the insecurity of what people say we are and fill ourselves up with what God declares about us. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so we must forsake, we must empty the cup of ourselves and then we must receive the implanted word of God with meekness and humility in order to save our souls, to save who we are. We must receive with meekness what God has to say about us. So so what to receive with meekness means is that we don't receive it begrudgingly. We don't receive it picking and choosing what we would like to receive about God's word, right? We do not receive it in order to just store it away for some other time. We receive it with meekness, the implanted word. Emptying ourselves of ourselves and then replacing it with God. Forsaking what the world has told you you are and what society has tried to stamp as your identity and then replacing it with what God has called you as a child, as a son and daughter, as a fellow laborer, as a servant, as a soldier. God has called you all of these things. So we must, we must forsake the identity that the world has tried to put on us by, by self-reflection and knowing, okay, this, my, my identity, how I'm perceiving myself right now, that's because of what my father said about me. This way I'm perceiving, this way I'm treating my wife or I'm treating my husband or treating my kids, that's how my parents did it. Or that's how my old pastor who fell away did it. We need to understand that it is the implanted word of God that must impart our identities into us. So we must receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We must receive it with meekness. We must receive it with humility or else it's not going to work. Otherwise, we'll just pick and choose what we kind of want and what what makes us feel good at the time instead of actually being transformed, right? And so there are two super bad ways to approach God's word. There's two incredibly bad ways to approach God's word. Is one, you've you've been taught this stuff all your life. You've been there and done that. One of the worst ways to approach God's word is, oh, I've read James chapter one before, for sure. I already know what the pastor's about to say. One of the worst ways to approach God's word, because then you're automatically blocking yourself out. Not only are you not emptying yourself of preconceived notions, but you're being refused to be filled by the implanted word of God. I already know this stuff. I don't need to know this stuff. I've been a Christian for years. I know it all already. It's an incredibly incredibly unhealthy way to receive God's word. There's always something to be learned. Now, the avenues by which you learn more may change, right? At one point in time, you're going to be past, you know, know, always getting sermons fed to you. And one point, you're going to be doing more readings of your own, right? And so, yeah, you you can increase in what you learn, but you'll never cease learning, right? The second way that that is really unhealthy to approach God's word is that the word is meant to correct your behavior, but not your heart. 
A lot of us look at the word of God and it's meant to correct, correct our behavior, not our heart. That we look at this as a, as a set of guidelines on how to, how to be better people. Jesus never, never approached it that way. Always looked at the heart. God is a God that looks at the fountain, not at the water. He wants to go to the source, the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. So, so it's not about correcting your words. It's about correcting your heart. Some of you find yourself being very harsh with your spouse, being very harsh with your parents, being very harsh with your children. You find yourself always just yelling or getting in arguments. Or you find, you find yourself always correcting people in their language. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. I remember when I first really, you know, started, started following God and started trying to be holy and started trying to, I, I really began the sanctification process. I remember distinctively me always trying to correct people's behavior. I was always trying to correct people's behavior. And I wouldn't even tell them really about Jesus. I would just kind of tell them what they needed to stop doing, right? This previous Sunday night, I'll give you an example. Some of you will really hate that I said this, but it's okay. I don't usually preach on Wednesday nights. Rob's going to be here next week. But last Sunday night, I, I preach every Sunday night, and there was, there was a girl who approached me. There was a girl who approached me, and, and, and there's a lot of college students that come on Sunday nights if, for those of you who have ever been, there's uh, over there's around 100 college students that come. And this girl came up to me, and, 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 and she essentially said, she said, uh, I don't, I've never told a pastor this or anyone in the church, I've never told anyone this, but um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm gay. And, and, and the, the word that you preached and, and, and the sermon that you gave, it made me want to love Jesus, but I can't because I'm gay. She'd been told all her life that she can't be a Christian because she's gay. I simply said, you liking women is such a small little part of who you are. That is not who you are. That's, not a la- that's, that's a label that society has put on you, that, that your community has put on you, that that's your identity, but that's not who you are. That's not who you are. And so I could go on and on about how I want to correct your behavior, but first let me tell you about how much Jesus desires you. First, let me tell you about how Christ has died for you and that yes, you have these desires and yes, they're unholy and yes, marriage is meant between a man and a woman. It's supposed to be beautiful. And yes, if you decide to follow Jesus, you are gonna have to forsake this type of lifestyle. But first, let me tell you about Christ and how much he desires you and he loves you and he died for you. So yeah, I, I could have just said, do you know what? Homosexuality is a sin. The first thing you need to do is stop liking women. Well, you could tell them about a savior that would die for them. Whose love is so strong that if you were to receive it, the Holy Spirit will enter into you and you will begin a process of being sanctified to where you will love Jesus more than you love women. And so, so we, we must not look at the word of God as a means to correct behavior, but correct the heart first. Go straight to the heart first. Then the actions 
Heart, then actions. Heart, then actions. It says then in verse 22, then we can get there. Then we can get to the actions. Verse 22. It says right here, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. We live in a society that is surrounded by mirrors. How many of you are members of a gym? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. I don't want to like. But, but if you're a member of a gym, you notice that there are mirrors everywhere, right? When you're walking, when you're walking on storefronts, the, you notice that the, the windows are just reflective enough for you to kind of like, oh, <laughs> Right? We are surrounded, we are a culture surrounded with mirrors. We have mirrors all around our houses. We have mirrors in stores. We have mirrors in gyms. We have mirrors everywhere because we are a self-centered society that just me, right? Me. And to read the word of God, to read the word of God and to not let it sink in is incredibly dangerous. To read the word of God and not let it penetrate our hearts, not let it get past that area, is incredibly dangerous. And James would have likened it, and I'm supposed to be in junior high ministry right now, so I'm, I'm going to give this really nasty illustration. But, but James is a liking it to someone who looks in the mirror and has just this fat booger, right? Just this fat, fat, just dangling too, just dangling right there, right? You could, you could just kind of, you could pluck it out, right? And they look and they see it and then they just walk away. They don't do anything about that, right? And so, so the word of God in Galatians and in James is described as a mirror in which we look and we see a part of ourselves. We see flaws in our character. This is God's character. How does it line up with my character? And when we see it and when we read about God's character and then we just don't do anything about it. That's like someone who has looked in the mirror and realized that uh, something needs fixing, but they just don't even care about it. And so James is kind of appealing to a narcissistic culture is that you, when you look in the mirror and you see a flaw in yourself, you fix it right away. You don't even go to work before you fix that. But somehow when it comes to our souls, we will peer into the mirror of God's word, see a flaw and just walk away. We will see a call and not answer. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says this, Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will like them to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. We read the word 
And I, and I think this is prevailing in, in Calvary Chapel especially. You know, I grew up in Calvary Chapel, so I love Calvary Chapel. I work at a Calvary Chapel. I ascribe to Calvary Chapel theology. I'm a Calvary Chapel guy, right? I've grown up in Calvary Chapel, but what I've noticed about Calvary Chapel and what I have found myself in, and this isn't just Calvary Chapel. This is, every, this is tons of churches, but just in my own experience, in the churches I have been to and I have grown up into, I have noticed that there is a large and beautiful feast of God's word available every week, right? There is, there's just a feast laid out for people, for God's word. There, there's, there's midweek studies, there's small groups, there's Sunday mornings, there's Sunday nights, there's prayer groups, there's men's discipleship, there's women's discipleship, there's early morning, there's late evening, there's life groups, there's community. There's all of these opportunities where if you guys wanted to, every single day of the week, you could be here doing some sort of Bible study, right? So, so every, every day of the week, you, you could be here and there's, there's a feast available to you as far as Bible studies go and consuming the word goes. However, as someone who eats and does not exercise, they grow obese. And it is the same way for us spiritually. Where if we consume and do not exercise, we grow spiritually overweight. Sluggish unhealthy where where if we are if we are consuming this word and not acting upon it there are things that will start to happen where we will begin to just be here digesting slowly in the church but not out in the culture allowing god's word to penetrate your heart goes far deeper than just understanding it it goes into action and exercising it Exercising those things that you have learned. And allowing God's word to penetrate your heart, it keeps you rooted in God's word when things fall into despair as well. When things fall into despair, when the winds come, as Jesus says, when when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. Allowing the word of God and being able to do the things that it says will create a foundation of integrity that will have us lasting. I've had, I've had you know, I mean, I, I've lived less of a life than many of you. Some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. And so you, you have a wealth of experience that I can never have. You have a wealth of trials that you can, that you can look back on in God's faithfulness. But, you know, I, I, have, I have very few I haven't lived as long as you have, for some of you. Some of you have lived twice as long as you have. But, but in reality, I remember, I remember going through a trial about a year and a half ago. You know, it was, it was the hardest trial in my life. Hardest thing I've ever gone through. Experienced incredible betrayal and heartbreak. And I remember, guys, that it, it, it wasn't people comforting me that made me feel better or got me out of it. Though it is good to have friends, it's good to have fellowship, it's good to have brothers and sisters around you that will lift you up, bearing one another's burdens. But at the end of the day, no amount of encouragement that they ever gave me was sufficient to help my soul in times of despair. At the end of the day, 
At the end of the day, guys, it was what I learned in Psalm 16 and all of the rest of the entirety of God's word. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. To the Lord I say, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood will pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot and the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance in you. Bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. At the end of the day, it isn't people that are going to comfort you because people are the one that put you there in the first place. At the end of the day, it is the presence of God and what he says about you, the identity that he has placed upon you that will make you thrive and in his presence will be the fullness of your joy. So allowing God's word to penetrate your heart, allowing the the implantation of, uh, of his word, allowing that to thrive inside of you and overflow into actions for one another. It'll be that which makes you strong. It'll be that that causes you not to stumble, but to thrive under trials, persecution, and hard times. Your foundation, integrity, is who you are in your inner life with God. Your private life with God, if that is not stable, your private life with God, if that is not stable, And it is not manifesting itself in the way you treat people, the way you interact, and the way you make disciples. No amount of community, Bible study, meditation, or friend group will ever be able to help you, restore you. It says in verse 26, almost done. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. This one's religion is useless. So we go we go back here to bridling the tongue and deceiving our own hearts. We we go back to the original thing that we talked about. Whoever does not bridle his tongue, who does not control what comes in and out of their hearts, who does not control the outflow, who has deceived their own heart, anything they do will be useless. Because it doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter how good they look on the outside. We learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noising gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic uh, powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. That is all about the heart. It is all about the love between me and my creator. 
the exchanges that we have, the conversations that we have, the way I let the word to act not as a correction for my attitude, but as a mirror for my heart and my soul. That the word is not supposed to correct my behavior, it's supposed to go to the heart. I believe one root, I I work a lot with with teenagers, and I still am one. (laughs) Um, I, I work a lot with teenagers, and I notice that one huge source for teenagers in their, in their anxiety and their attitude and their, and their just, their rebellion is that everybody looks at their performance, but nobody ever looks at their heart. They're constantly at school being evaluated, being tested, being told to sit still. They're constantly being told to correct their behavior and always being told, this is what you're doing. This is what you should be doing. But no one ever asks, what are you feeling? This is, this is often what occurs in my heart is that I'll look at the Bible and it's, it's this corrective action, but I never look at it as what, what does it say about my heart and then how does that overflow into action? It says right here, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Allowing God's word to take root in your heart will not only help you in trials, it won't only help you correct your behavior, but it will make you useful towards the kingdom of God. Letting the word take root in your heart, emptying yourself of yourself, and then implanting the word of God in your heart will help you overcome trials and temptations, but it will also make you useful towards God's kingdom. The word religion, the word religion in the Greek is threskia. I probably said it wrong, but it's threskia. It means fearing and worshiping God. Religion in the Bible means fearing and worshiping God. So a lot of people like to say, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. I understand that that phrase, because it's true, but it's also true that I have a religion. I have a fear and worship of my God, right? I have a relationship with my God and I have a religion with my God. We have both, right? Because we've all heard that. Like, I don't have, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's both. It's both a relationship and a religion. It's a relationship with the God where me and my heart is with him. And then a religion, the outflow of my heart. Does that make sense? So it's both, right? We, can't, we shouldn't demonize one or the other. It's both. Out of my relationship with God comes my religion, right? And so pure and undefiled religion, threskia, pure and undefiled, fearing and worshiping God is taking care of other people. Discipling other people. Taking care of people. Being a disciple implies mimicking Christ's behavior. So first, getting in tune and in touch with his heart. Because the disciples, when they were called in Mark chapter 3, when they were called, it says that first Jesus called so that they might first be with them. That he might be with them. So the first call of a disciple of Jesus is to first be with Jesus. 
to be next to him, to understand his heart, and to have him impart wisdom into you via his words. And then he says, and then so that they might heal the sick and cast out demons. Right? And, and, so, and so being a disciple means that we are actively pursuing a relationship with Christ by being with him and then mimicking his behavior because we're in touch with his heart. And my conviction, my conviction, guys, I don't know about you guys, but what I take away from this, what I will take away from this is that I will serve Jesus and I will, I will know who he is, but I won't act like him. I'll do tons of good deeds, but my character looks nothing like Christ's. I'll serve in the church, but man, my language won't always reflect that I know Jesus. I'll profess him in front of my coworkers or on social media. But, but when it comes to acting like him and helping the poor and needy, I won't always do that, Right? And so, and so there's this connection. As I draw closer to the heart of Jesus, I will mimic the heart of Jesus. It's both. It's both relationship and religion. We need to couple the two. We need to bring the two together. They need to be in cohesion. Some of us are way too religion-minded, not enough relationship-minded. Some of us are way too relationship-minded, not enough religion-minded. We need both to be healthy, functioning, missional Christians. So, my call and my charge to you before we pray is when you get home in your quiet time, open up the word and see it as a mirror in ways where you see Christ's character. How does it add up to your character? You see his actions. You see the way he interacts with people. You see the descriptive parts and the prescriptive parts. You see all of these things. Open up the word and say, how does this affect me and my relationship with God? And how can I mimic my Savior? It says, to be, it says in Ephesians, to be imitators of God as dear children. To be imitators of God as dear children. To be near him and then to act like him. So the first thing I charge you guys with is to read the word of God not just as a, as a ritual, as something, okay, I'm going to gain knowledge so I could talk about it later in another Bible study, right? But look at it. How, how does this reflect my character and God's character? Second, second, I want you guys to go home and find out what you've been putting in your heart that you can keep from getting in your heart. Maybe it's a show that you know you shouldn't be watching, but it's just so good, Right? Maybe it's a person that you gossip with. That, that, that's your thing. You gossip with one another. And maybe you call it a prayer circle or whatever, but it's gossip, right? And so maybe there's, there's certain people in your lives that you gossip with. Maybe that's something you shouldn't be letting into your heart. I'm not going to judge your lifestyle. I've got my own issues that I'm going to be dealing with. But, but this, is, this is kind of the charge to look at God's word and let it reveal things that are in our hearts that shouldn't be there. And then let us take action to removing that from our hearts. And then lastly, let us replace with what we emptied of ourselves. Let us replace it with good things. What God declares to us about, uh, about us to be true. And then help somebody. Help somebody. 
Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we are, we are grateful to you, Lord, and I, I just pray that uh, as we go about our weeks, Lord, that we would be constantly mindful of your word and how it relates to our hearts, God, and that secondly, we would be able to look at aspects of our lives that we must empty. Lord, some of us, we've been defining ourselves based on what people have been telling us that we are, but we haven't been looking what you have declared we are. I pray for those in here that have been abused and verbally abused, God, God, I pray that you would replace those hateful words with what you declare about them. And Father, I pray that lastly, we would be able to look at life through the lens of who you are, Jesus. That we look upon people, not, not, as, not as habits that need to be fixed, Lord, but at hearts that need to be saved. So Father, let us always look to you, Jesus, as our example. And as dear children, may we imitate you, Christ. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Be blessed, guys. Have a good night. Love you and see you next week.